Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are fantastic. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I am Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And um, welcome to uh, episode 149. This is 149, 149. In the backwards, that's 941. I know. When I saw that, I felt like it was quite a significant number, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just because it's one off 150. I think that's what it is. I think that if you're excited about 149, then one, 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 when, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> when 150 comes around, you're in business. Totally. Um, we need to apologise, don't we, as already. I mean, we're, it's becoming part of the course for us that we need to start by saying sorry. It's true. We've had some uh, some technical gremlins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, the sound quality last week was maybe not quite what um, what one would hope from such a top quality podcast as the Right for Your Life podcast. It's true. And I don't know if there are any budding podcasters out there as well. And I'm, I'm sure that there, there are. In fact, I know that there are a few. And um, and it's uh, it's I, we thought it was an issue with Skype. There's lots of talk in the uh, techosphere, which I think is what they call it uh, at the moment, about podcasts and and um, how you make them and what equipment you should use and all that kind of thing. And um, it's all a fuss over nothing, really. I think, you know, mainly as long as you can pretty much make out what people are saying and it's clear, then that's all right. But it was tricky to hear what you were saying last week, Donna, every now and again. I know, and we think we've worked out why, don't we? Two reasons why. The first, that I'm pregnant. That's to blame here in this situation. I've been slouching. And I've not been talking properly into the microphone. And the second one is um, my excitement levels. I just get too excited. I'm going to try and tone it down this week. I'm going to try and be a little bit more controlled. I'm not going <laughs> to do so much guffawing. I, do, I think we should keep the guffawing. But there is a third one, and I think it is a, a, a genuine problem with... Um, I don't know if I can say this, because it's, it's kind of the opposite of product placement. I'm sort of... I'm going to complain about a piece of equipment. What if they want to sponsor the show at some point? They're never going to sponsor the show. Um, we both use the, um, the the Yeti microphones, which um, a lot of people recommend as beginner, novice microphones. And I think that's appropriate for me and you, Donna. <laughs> oh, I feel I'm upset. Um, so we both use we both use the the Yeti stereo microphone. Actually, it's not called the Yeti stereo microphone. It's called the Yeti the the blue the blue. It's made by Blue, not the band Blue, which were a UK band. What am I talking about? Keep going. Just just keep keep going. Um, uh, the Yeti <laughs> microphone. It's called not called the Yeti stereo microphone. That's what comes up when you uh, click on the uh, the uh, sound settings. Anyway, um, I I've had a problem with them before, and I think part of the problem is that your your microphone, Donna, is on the wonk. I, I can still hear there's a little bit of tinniness, so maybe we're going to have to apologise for this next week as well for what's happening right now. But um, I, I had a problem with the Yeti microphones previously when I used to record the show with uh, young Mike Hurley, who's now gone on to fame and fortune, perhaps. Um, he, uh, he, he was very frustrated with my microphone technique, and then we realised that it was actually a fault with the microphone, and there was no explanation. We couldn't work out what was happening we changed the settings we we uh, switched it on and switched it back we switched it off then we switched it back on again uh, which we've just tried with you donna haven't we yep classic and switch, uh, off, switch it on yeah and it has uh, i think it has improved it and made it uh, uh, much better than it was last week but but do bear with us we're only we've only got limited uh, resources here at 5 by 5 headquarters uh, not that we not that we podcast from there we're at right for your life towers which is like a little bungalow next to it um anyway so we apologize for any kind of um uh, uh, uh trouble with the uh the sound quality last week and for the coming 40 minutes yes absolutely oh well anything to report from this week ian not really that was it <laughs> yeah but there's all sorts of things happening out there isn't there there is also go on no, I was going to agree with you. There is all sorts of things happening. Um, um, we haven't got it down on our list to talk about, but I'm, a few weeks ago you were talking about how you were in the position of uh, employing other 
copywriters and you were talking about CVs and all that kind of thing. And I said that I might find myself in that position. And I, and I have. I have found myself in that position over the last uh, week or two. Big changes in the... Uh, in the broom life slash career, um, all pos- all positive for me. Um, but it is, yeah, it's been a it's been a very busy, very full week or two, which we'll come on to perhaps later when we talk about authorpreneurship, which we have talked about in various guises before. But Linus Edwards on the old Twitters uh, did mention uh, an article, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. What else has been happening? Um, well, I wrote my first well. I don't know whether I did actually. I wrote an article for a um, a new uh, travel and lifestyle magazine in the UK, which is going to be an online magazine coming out soon, which is quite exciting. You, you didn't you didn't mention that in uh, in real life. What's um, how did that come about? Well, it was just I was asked to do um, a kind of insider recommendations for this great city I live in of Copenhagen. So that that's quite exciting. But I mean, I, I do all sorts of travel writing, obviously, for my day job every day, every single day. But this was the first time I'd done it as as just like me, myself. So um, so it was it was good. I enjoyed it. But yeah, talking about, as we will, entrepreneurship, just having to like, you know, slog that out in the evening, you know, when all you want to do is just curl up and watch the next episode of Vikings. Oh, you're onto you're st- oh you're onto Vikings now. You see now, we we um I don't know if you know the show, the TV show, uh, folks, uh, Vikings. I didn't know anything about it until Christmas time, and um and when we watched it together, the first three or four episodes. Oh, we did, yes, and it was ludicrous, ludicrous start to a series. Well, I mean, I've not been back. I'll be honest with you, and I'm surprised to hear that you've been back to Vikings because I seem to remember you describing it as something like a load of old tosh. <laughs> I, I do remember thinking this is absolutely ludicrous. But what has got me back into it, apart from the fact that I, I've well, also, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've just remembered the uh, the degree to which you felt that the primary character in the show was uh, a very sexy faced man. Yes, he's a nice face. I like looking at his face. Um, that is the primary reason I'm watching it. Although he smizes too much. Do you know what smizing is, Ian? Uh, well, just to take you back to Christmas again, it was me that was getting upset about how much he was smizing at me right through You're the screen. Joking. I don't even remember that. I was just too busy looking at his face. He was. It was ridiculous. It was like, I, I thought that... I mean, I'm not an expert on the Vikings in any in any capacity, but I don't think that the Viking people took it upon themselves to try and seduce every single person they saw um and and the chap from the tv show by crikey he's 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 chopping someone's head off with an axe and he is looking at them like he wants to wrap them up in a blanket and carry them over his shoulder into the bedroom which i know that was kind of part of the the viking thing but um no you see you don't know that that's that's just terrible to assume that i think it's only with this guy because he is a very sexy viking i think it makes more sense to say a very sexy viking might have done it rather than the entire viking race how but. many how many Vikings do you think um in you know I'm talking about the real Vikings in the day do you think that sort of um either the local media or just female Vikings in general how many do you think they thought oh, that's a whew, that is a sexy viking a lot I really do I think that they had a reputation around Europe because they went and, and and pillaged and did all the other bits and bobs didn't they for being particularly manly very big um, probably, you know, dirty. No, I'm talking nonsense. I'm absolutely talking nonsense. But what I would like to say about it, with regards to writing and literature, which I think is important here, is that um, I've got back into it because of Sexy Viking, but also because I, I'm really interested in Norse mythology. My sister is studying it at Cambridge and is quite a quite knowledgeable about it so it's always good that if I find something interesting I can go and talk to her about it Um, and it's incredible to see that you know the storylines that are coming out of this series and a lot of the like preconceptions we have or, or the ideas we have about the Vikings come from like ancient poetry that's all they have and and things that you know just sh- fragments of things that people have talked about as they travel past the region and stuff like that. And I, I find it absolutely fascinating about how it's being interpreted now 
um, on, on screen. I love it. So has has the TV show Vikings got any kind of um, historical credibility? Well, I don't want to spoil it for people who are watching it. I'm not sure whether I... No, I think this is okay to say this. There is something pretty awful in the series that happens. It's um, it's a form of execution, which is called the Blood Eagle. And it was awful. And we were just like, surely not, surely not. So I looked up a bit about this and I spoke to my sister who studied it. And she said, as far as I know, this is disputed about whether this happened. And it's possible that it was just... It was a fiction from people who were afraid of, of, of the Viking, or the North, the Northmen, as they were called. Um, and, like, it's absolutely fascinating that it's discussed, like, thousands of years ago in poetry that they did this, and they think they did it to certain people, but that they're not, still not sure. So, yeah, there's lots going on in it, which I think is fascinating. Well, I did not expect to be talking about Vikings. No, but anyway, it's... Um, it's ridiculous, but kind of entertaining, and also, I think, quite interesting. That's all I've got to say on it. Well, that's all. I've I've not got anything to say on it at all because I stopped after three episodes because <laughs> of uh, I was I was smize, I was I was seduced out of watching it by the man's eyes through the TV. <laughs> Over smizing. What have you got something to say about this week, then, Ian? Well, I'd like to say something about uh, Linda dot com. Because Linda are our sponsor this week, um, very kindly sponsoring our fine podcast once again, um, and uh, and we appreciate it very much. So let me tell you about it. It's already February. Did you know that, Donna? I did. I'd say it's almost March. Either way, what are you waiting for? Invest in yourself this year and start learning something new at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress and Photoshop. All of the courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, Lynda.com has something for everyone. Um, and the thing it doesn't say, I think, in that little bit that I've read there is that it's all video-based, which I think is a more and more popular way for people to uh, to learn stuff. But it's not like YouTube. There's lots of stuff that you can look up on YouTube and watch videos of people doing things in their uh, in their spare time, like hobbyists. All of the people who do the training on Linda.com are superstars of their particular field, so it's a much more professional kind of affair. You can sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting our special URL, that's lynda.com slash WFYL, and that will give you unlimited access to every single course on lynda.com, access to view tutorials on tablets and the uh, iPhone and Android mobile devices. You can access new courses, which, as I say, are added every week, and uh, there's lots to choose from. So some of the courses that Linda think that our fine listeners would enjoy are Getting Things Done, which is uh, hosted and uh, run by David Allen himself, the man who wrote Getting Things Done, Business Writing Fundamentals, important for you copywriters out there. Grammar Fundamentals, also important for you crop- copywriters out there. Breaking Out of a Rut, important for all of us. And um, and I've tried this myself. I've had a go at the old Garage Band tutorials, and uh, I've, I've started looking into using a bit of the old logic as well, because I'm trying to get more professional. You wouldn't think it, but it's happening. And, um, and uh, the tutorials for that are fantastic too. There's loads to choose from. Pretty much anything you can think of, there will be some kind of training on lynda.com. So, to remind you, once again, sign up for your free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash WFYL, and, um, and you won't regret it. Go ahead. Be challenged. Learn something new in 2015. You've only got 10 months left. <laughs> splendid. Absolutely splendid. Ian, did you know that being an author is the number one most desired job in Britain? Um, I did. I've see, I, I saw this on the uh, news. I, it's, I, I don't. Uh, there's a lot about that sentence that's interesting, um, but of course, for a lot of us, it's the concept. Actually, the, I, I won't make a joke. I was going to be sarcastic, like normal, but actually, the interesting thing about that is the word job, and I don't know if um, 
I don't know if if enough people know, and maybe it's best they don't know, but I don't know if the people answering that survey know how few writers do have that as their job. And I don't want to... We're going to talk about... um, so hard to say this word, authorpreneurship too. So I don't want to spend the entire podcast once again complaining about um, uh, publishing <laughs> and money and all that sort of thing. I don't. I really don't. Um, but it is interesting that, that that a lot of people consider that a job. And, and I've had that before. Have you had that, Donna? Where people have just when I've, they found out I've, my book's been published, they assume that I'm either a millionaire or that um, or that, that it's your job. Um, no, I've not had that. No way. But I think in this case, like the idea of author here, I mean, you know, these are ideal jobs. I mean, if you talk about astronaut, you know, I mean, there could be NASA astronauts sitting there saying, you know, oh, why has that been named again as an amazing job? Do they not know how much physical training it takes and all this kind of stuff? I mean, the reality of the situation is, is that people are presumably thinking about what other people would think if they were an author, like just being able to say, I'm an author. And that has some kind of cachet. It does. It's, it's something that people aspire to, which I think is absolutely cool, regardless of whether, you know, people struggle and have to juggle different things and, it's, and you know, or it's, they hardly make any money. I think it's really, really fascinating. Also that librarian was number two. People love books, man. It's great. That's true. That is another thing, and and maybe that's why people just assume this. There is, you're right. There is this uh, still a cachet about being an author, and I just it's also interesting that they chose author and not writer. I think that some somehow people do still make a distinction between the two when you know, they are pretty Absolutely. much the same thing. Well, no, I mean they, they must, when they say author, I presume they're talking about novels, novelist. Yeah, I mean they're, they're not they're they're not desperately wishing that they were. Um, you know, a writer of technical manuals. <laughs> what do you think it is? What do you think it is about being an author that seems so appealing to the general public? I think looking at the top three in this list, and I'll, uh, we'll put this in, in the show notes. This is um, an article, actually a survey done by um, an online, what, what are they called? An online marketing organisation? No, hang on a second. That's ridiculous. I don't like the sound of them already. An online market research company, YouGov. Um, we'll put them in the show notes, which will be at, Ian? Um, they will be at 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 149. They absolutely will be. The top three were author, librarian, and then coming in at number three is academic. And I think that that shows that people look up to kind of, not necessarily intellectual pursuits, but but. Things that not everybody can do. I think that's what they think. Like, it's something to aspire to, you know? People who have got something about them in their brain that means that they can do these things. Isn't that interesting, though, that the idea of being an author is, oh, look, that's something that not everyone can do. And yet so many people, you know, everyone has a book in them. And everyone's, yeah. everyone, does, everyone does say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do that. I've always, got, I've always thought I'd got a book in me. Yes. Well, maybe that's why it's number one over the others, because it might be very, they might not feel they can be an academic, but an author, they might feel that they one day can be it. And that's why they desire it. I think I I think I probably thought like that way back when I think I did probably think, well, let's look at a list of things that I could be football, I could be a footballer. Um, maybe I tried. I, I tried that for a while. I was reasonable at it, but it didn't happen. It was never going to happen. Then I thought, mm, pop star. I could be a pop star. There's no question about that. Then I tried singing, and realised it was quite difficult. And um, and uh, I mean, these things didn't go quite in this order. There was some overlap, but I do. I, do, I think it would be disingenuous of me to say that I didn't think. Hmm, author. Maybe I could do that. Maybe that's achievable. Maybe that's something. All I have to do is I've got I've got a computer. You know the the uh, I've got I've got words and I've got a pen and a paper. I mean there is there is a, a, a low barrier to entry, isn't there? Um, yes, I think there is. And also, if you are surrounded by books and you have books all the time, then you you see these things which people other people have created. They seem like attainable things. You know, you know when I when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Absolutely, number one, hands down which was for a long, long time. Then I wanted to go and rescue gorillas in the rainforest. I'm sure I talked about that. And then after that, I was completely lost. I knew that I loved writing stories. And I remember that we had a careers thing at school. Did you ever have, like, you 
it wasn't like people that came in to advise you, but it was like a a questionnaire you had to fill out. And then it came up with suggestions for jobs that you could do. Did you ever do one of those? We had to do that. We had to do it on on an old sort of BBC computer, like an acorn type thing. Yeah, I think this was pre-computer for me. Not that I'm I'm only a year older than you. Um, do you know what I I was recommended to become? You'll never guess it in a million years. Okay, give me three guesses. Okay, go for it. Scuba diver. No, and I really don't like scuba diving. Okay, um, how about uh, sales assistant? No. Rally driver. Oh, that would have been amazing. No. This careers questionnaire recommended that I become a golf course greenkeeper. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next ridiculous suggestion. <laughs> so I realised very quickly that nobody was going to help me and that all was lost and I was never going to be happy and I was never going to find out what I wanted to do in life. And I think maybe that that little questionnaire that told me I should be a golf course greenkeeper threw me off course and it took me until I was 20... No, I was I was 30 when I got my first job in publishing and and writing and started to write properly. And it took me that long. And I'm pretty sure it's their fault of that. That's so specific. I can't believe that was even I can't believe that was even in the database of jobs that could have been thrown up. I know, Ian. I don't make this stuff up. I know that you have accused me occasionally of making stuff like this up. <laughs> I don't. Um, and I did think, you know what? Careers advisors, come on, what are they doing? Because there are so many amazing jobs out there. And kids just just don't know about them. You know, like some people have jobs where they go, their job is to ski up into mountains, set explosives and make controlled avalanches happen so skiers are safe. Hang on a minute. Are you, are, you, are you talking about James Bond again? Because I don't think that's a real job. <laughs> it's a real job. I read about it and I was like, you see, that is the kind of thing that, well, I'm sure parents would be delighted if their kids were recommended to go and do that. But you just, you know... This list, in some ways, when you look at it, everybody, listeners, it does read a little bit like a careers uh, advisor's checklist. Do you like being outside? Do you like doing this? Okay, then you should be a, you know. Have you got a head? Yeah. There are so many, it's it's so many more opportunities in, in the world. And I think that's, it's more and more difficult for people to find what they should do. I think it's extremely difficult to find what, what you should do. I, I think I, something that I've come to terms with, and I don't know if other um, writers, uh, budding writers especially, um, have, have had the same thing. I, um, in fact, I listened to, I listened to, um, I listened to a podcast which some people will know uh, called Roderick on the Line, which is um, Merlin Mann and John Roderick. John Roderick is the uh, the main guy, lead singer, songwriter, guitarist in uh, the Long Winters. Um, I love their first album; it's very good. Um, their podcast is fantastic. And um, um, he was talking about the idea of, uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into any detail because anyone that's listened to this will realise just how badly I will be sort of trying to reiterate what he said. But um, it was the idea that you feel like you, as as someone who was wanting to be a, a, a kind of a, a rock musician for him when he was um, when he was kind of had a normal job in his early twenties, um, he always felt like. He was. He had to push away from um, uh, convention, kind of what everyone else is doing. Like I'm different. Like I'm. Um, I'm. I'm not like the rest. And um, and he used the uh, the idea that um, he would go into work and think that you know you're all you're all here going to work. I'm just here. I think he used the phrase collecting materials. Like I'm just yeah. here. <laughs> I'm not really here. But uh, you know, because what I'm you know, what I'm really about in his case is the music. In in our case, everybody mm. is uh, is the writing. And God, I thought like that for a long, long time. I would say throughout my twenties. I'm 34 now, and I think only recently have I kind of. And maybe maybe it's the fact that I've had my novel published. We shall come onto this, and I'm not suddenly rolling in cash like Scrooge McDuck. Maybe it's that that helped me realise that actually what I do. At work in my job, that is also me. That is what I do. I am one of those people. I am that thing, whatever it is, whatever the job title I've got. That is what I am, and and maybe that's okay. Um, and and maybe it won't always be like that. Maybe the the rock star in me will become a, 
um, uh, an author who can make it the make it my day job. But the, but that kind of process t- t- took years for me. I just always assumed that. I could say everyone else was at work because they were at work and that's what they would do forever because that's what they do. But I'm different. I'm writing a novel in my spare time and when it gets published, boy, oh boy, you're not going to see me for dust. (laughs) Yeah, I totally had the same thing when I didn't know what I wanted to do and I wanted to travel. So I thought I'll train to be a teacher because I like children and I want to write children's books so I can get inspiration. And then every day I was teaching, I thought, oh, I love these kids. But I, oh man, they're just, they're so lucky to have me because I'm really like a famous writer and I'm just here for, you know, like a short time and no one knows it. That's totally what it was like for me as well. It's ridiculous. But but also you are, we're made, and I think this goes back to what we were just talking about, the fact that people sort of, the idea of an author or anyone who's writing anything, even in their spare time, you don't have to be published. I often used to find, I would say to people that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a novel, and I think maybe the fact that I'd done a postgraduate course in creative writing that kind of gave it an extra bit of um, legitimacy. Like people, I wouldn't just say, "Oh, I'm working on a novel." I would say, "Oh, I'm working on a novel, and I've got, I did this course, like, and, and, and I've been published. I've had a short story published in a magazine. All of these things build up, and even if you you're not a published author, people still go, mm, that's interesting.' And so you do get this 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 uh, this idea because, <laughs> as we've said. Um, it's just a coincidence that these two topics have led on, but the fact that the idea of being an author and and writing a, a book or stories or whatever it might be um, is kind of desirable. If you talk that, that when you talk to people about that, you do get the constant positive reinforcement, and you do start to think, yeah, "I am different. I am. I am going to be. I'm going to yeah. be so famous. It's going to hurt." <laughs> yeah, just got to get there. We'll get there, Ian. We'll get there. You know, I think this leads on quite nicely, actually, to the uh, the article about entrepreneurship that was in The Economist. Maybe we should talk about that now, because that's also about being many, many different things uh, when you're an author. It is. And my, my um, uh, going from the position I've just described and to how I'm feeling now, um, things have certainly changed for me. I am not an entrepreneur in... Um, the way that uh, this article talks about, but um, but it's an interesting article, and we have to thank uh, Linus Linus Edwards on Twitter for uh, for uh, sending this to us. Uh, regular listener, hi Linus, thanks very thanks, much for your Linus. indeed. Um, so it's kind of it's something that anyone. This is in the Economist, and I don't know why they've suddenly decided to um, publish this article, but it's kind of what we've all known, all of us insiders. We've known this for for the last few years. It's that. Authors um, now um, take their writing, or need to take their writing, some would argue, um, a bit more seriously, treat it a bit more like a business. We've used that phrase lots of times on this show in the past. And um, and that authors don't just rely on their publishers um, to um, do all the marketing and to do all the promotion and to, and to kind of run the author's business for them. The author is responsible for a lot of those things themselves. And then, of course, um, we have people who publish independently, self-publishers, and they really have taken on the authorpreneurship uh, title, and I think that's probably where that's, that community is where the actual phrase probably comes from. Um, so, um, yeah, we have, we, I think what we're about to talk about, we have covered before in different ways on this podcast, but um, I've got a few things perhaps to add, and um, I don't know, what do you say, Donna? I say there were a couple of eye-opening things in this for me, because I having not released a fiction book, having had a poetry book, I didn't approach it in the same way. I think there was a kind of certain inevitability about how many books I was going to sell from the start. But like, it's very interesting to me, this idea that getting onto a bestseller list is really important, obviously, but that is, that's not to do with how many books you sell. It's just quite simply a matter of how quickly you can sell lots and lots of books at the start. And that you can be doing stuff to make sure that you get onto that bestseller list like years in advance because pre-release book sales, they count towards the first week's book sale um, total, which is, I mean, I guess it makes sense. So you can be out there pushing your book for like a whole year before anybody could even get their hands on it. The idea of a a pre-book book book tour, I mean, it just sounds like, wow, 
you just wait normally you'd have your book launch and you do it but no you need to be doing a pre-book book tour these days you need to be on it this was um this was Eric Ries, the guy who wrote The Lean Startup, a hugely successful book. And the, the Lean Startup method is what lots of startups and businesses use all over the place, all over the world now. And so it was him that um, this article talks about. And uh, he did a, a year-long pre-book tour. So he was basically talking about his book, The Lean Startup, for a year. And I thought about that. How confident would you be um, right now, Donna, to announce the title of your next poetry collection and talk about what it was going to involve and its key themes and 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 what it's you know why people should buy it and all that kind of thing well based on the fact that i found out it was going to be published i had an indication about a year and a half before i found out a year before it was published that it was going to be published at that point i had the manuscript and i would have been happy to I would have known that certainly some of the core poems were not going to change and I could have taken those and I could have worked really, really hard had I been in the same country as my where my book was published. Um, definitely have started on that, you know. So from that side of things, yes. I think you would just adapt what you how you presented your book at that stage, wouldn't you? I don't know whether there's any like copyright issues, whether your publisher is happy about you taking things out and around like that always before. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I, I guess I, yeah. I, I was. I was going to say that the opposite to what you just said. I was going to say that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that at all. But maybe that's that. Maybe that's. I wouldn't feel comfortable right now talking about a book that's very much unfinished. But actually, my, my when when Angelica like was the the date for the public the publication date was announced for for that. I did have a few months in hand, and maybe I probably could have done a lot more. Um, and maybe if I had my time again, I w- would do a lot more talking about it mm. beforehand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was very—I found that very interesting. Um, another thing that I found interesting in the article was that uh, Simon and Schuster, the publishers, have just announced apparently that they're going to sell online video courses led by some of their authors. Yep. And you talked earlier when we were talking about Linda dot com about you know how that's that's really important, but. Um, I think what came out of this article in The Economist was that publishers, not just publishers, but also um, big literary awards, newspapers that still have some clout and, you know, their reviewers still do make a difference. They are trying to open up the opportunities for people to either get on, you know, roundup lists or bestseller lists or to, you know, to to have their books seen. Um, things like expanding bestseller lists or, or you know, to, to include more books and things like that. Because it's it's just so vitally important when there are so many more books being published than there ever have been. It's it's really difficult to get noticed at all yeah. um, um, in, in any way. Um, but, but that doesn't mean... I see that I think of on entrepreneurship... The phrase I really do associate it with um, independent publishing and people who self-publish and uh, are people who can who have kind of gone all out. They've 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 just said this is I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to make this my job. I love writing, and I am going to give it my absolute go. And the, usually, the most successful self-publishers are, are are genre publishers. I don't think that's kind of too controversial to say. There are you know, thrillers sell well, romance sells well, um, um, kind of crime fiction sells well, vampires sold well for a time, um, erotic fiction sells pretty well. The type of book that I write, which is more literary fiction, Sebastian walks in, someone's arranging, match- arranging matches, um, that type of thing, um, doesn't necessarily sell particularly um, well in terms of, uh, you know, there, there haven't been any breakout literary self-publishers so far um and of course the, the phrase authorpreneurship is uh, it's really suggesting treating your writing as more of a business and a lot of the people who have been successful um it doesn't have to be this way so i'm not suggesting that it has to be this way but i think a lot of people who are particularly successful either write ludicrously quickly 
in the evenings or they've effectively made this their their job they've said right i'm quitting my job and this is going to be my job um and they are they, they have a plan so they they write uh, a novel every a certain period let's say three months six months could be every year but they've got a constant flow of of creative work coming out but also and this is where this is where my thinking comes in now more um it's the, 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 their income doesn't just come from their fiction, if that's what they're writing. Um, they're also doing other things. So they they write fiction, but also they might do public speaking, or they might do um, um, I don't know. They might write some nonfiction um, as well as their you know creative writing, their creative fiction. Or it could be that they sell training courses or um, or webinars or other exciting things like that. Um, and so it's, it, the term entrepreneurship isn't necessarily, I don't think, about writing fiction. It's about making a living out of being a writer, even if the activities that get you to that point aren't necessarily all um, the actual act of writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to be an absolute multitasker a dab hand at lots of different things these days. There's no doubt about that. And this article in The uh, Economist was talking about the fact that, you know, traditionally authors have not necessarily been that kind of person. So, you know, it can be quite a challenge. Um, and on Twitter, on the hashtag WFYL, our Write for Your Life hashtag, Alison Drennan, that's A-D-R-E-N-N-A-N, um, oh, I don't know whether I should actually just, just quickly pop in the listener's question there because it was kind of a listener's question but I just wanted to bring it in because it's all part of the same thing she wanted to hear more about book marketing because everybody says you need a platform but nobody tells you how to grow one and it's so true when you read an article like this in the economist you just think oh my I mean there's where do you start there's just so much you need to do you know in order to just try and rise above the the massive hum I don't know whether that's the right word, really. I think it is the right word, but I, I do think it depends on what your your um, let, let's say ideology. What's your ideology on writing and and um, and your own work? So I think both of us are the idea of sort of pumping out fiction um, willy nilly with the, with the primary aim of it becoming your job and making money. It seems like a very it's quite it's quite a it's perfectly fine it's it's not nothing there's nothing wrong with that but i always feel like i am i i want to create it's more important to me like i don't like personally i don't mind that my novel has sold uh you know a few thousand copies and not 50,000 copies it's not the end of the world to me it would be nice if it did that and i'd made more money out of the novel but i'm really happy with the book i it could be better and, you know, a few years on, I can see things that I might have done differently. But I think every book I ever write, hopefully, will be that way. But I can look back and say, that was the best I could do at that particular time and be really happy with it. And if I only ever publish, let's say I live till I'm 80 and I only publish five or six more books and one a decade. Let's go for one, <laughs> let's go for one a decade. Let's aim high. Let's say I do that. But I can look back and go... I was I did, they were as good as they could be at that particular time. Yeah, I had a full-time job until I retired at the same time, but I had this literary career at the same time. We're on episode 5 million of the Right for Life podcast, but that's okay. That's fine. I don't mind that. That's also perfectly a reasonable thing to ask. I'd I'd rather have that than to feel like everything I did creatively had to end up in dollar signs at the end. Yes. I, I I know what you're saying, and every author is different. And I think both you and I enjoy not just writing and creating things and producing things, but we also enjoy being part of a bigger writing community as well. We like we like, I mean, we like talking about writing. <laughs> we do, <laughs> for example, you know, and and all of that helps. I mean, especially when you're talking as well about, you know entrepreneurship and how to build up a platform I imagine it must be so difficult for some authors if it's just it's just not what they're into they do just want to sit and write 
to them it might not also be it might not be about the money either it might be just quite simply about producing books that's what they love doing and they can't be bothered to sit there and and you know go and tweet people and say hello how are you oh yes I like that and here here's a link to my book yeah and I and I I I think I'm this is where I've changed I think I used to think that that was something that was in me that I was that sort of person who would like be you know because um, I, I, th- I get the impression I'm not one of I've never I, I, I tried to be one of these types of blogger for a while where I was sort of networking and I would email people I would like should we do a guest post together should we um, should we do this that should we do the other and I was like that for a little bit but I found that because I had a full time job I felt like I, I kept letting people down because everyone else seemed to be far more dynamic at it than me and responded more quickly and so gradually I stopped doing that and I, th- I guess that's part of the reason that the, the, the that my blogging dried up, and I decided to go to podcasting more because I just I enjoyed it more, and I enjoy the fact that you know the last year of doing this with you has been um, you know by far my most enjoyable internet based activity because it's oh, been <laughs> shucks. <laughs> because but don't you think that's, that's that's exactly though what I was saying? Like you, I think it's really important when you start to build up a platform because you can do so many different things. It's really important to like be honest about who you are and to, to to try to find something you actually enjoy doing because you are going to have to put a lot of time into it. So the fact that, you know, we're, we, we're podcasting, it's not just because, you know, podcasting is what everybody should be doing these days, but actually we really enjoy it and we feel we have something to say. Absolutely. And, and and this is about choosing ideas as well. So let's say that let's let's sort of bring this back to what I was saying earlier on, like kind of where we are now, or where I am now with this anyway. I having gone through these kind of different changes and seen how other people who have become authorpreneurs and I've kind of not done <laughs> um, um, my day job's going fine though so don't worry about it um, I, I, um, I've I kind of look at this now that I do still like talking about writing and there is that there is that thing that I'd like to keep doing but I have all these ideas I mean the amount of ideas I've sort of ran past you in the last six months for ways that um, you know potential projects um and i've not i believe the word is ship i've not shipped any of them because i've just been i've tried them and, and it's just not been quite right so for example i've been talking about story club for a while i've even mentioned it to a couple of people who listen to the show and i got this i was convinced that about this idea of story club and 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 i would i would um because as you know everybody we're semi-professional voiceover artists and I would read some of the classic stories and I've got I've got some because they're free to you know they're in the public domain and I would do a, a podcast which would be a story um a week and 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 then people could become members and they could pay a small amount of money and that would give them beautiful beautifully formatted text that they could put on their Kindle and I would have kind of a York Notes type affair around it, around every story. And this would be it. This would be my authorpreneurship. And, um, and, and it would be fantastic. And I've looked into this heavily. I've like, I can tell you exactly how much it would cost for me to do that. I even did a couple of stories. I thought this was it. Authorpreneurship. I'm going to write fiction. Then my other thing is going to be this story club. And this is going to, how I'm going to make money on the internet. Truth of it was, Donna, I recorded those stories and I I didn't enjoy it very much at all. And I could have easily have launched that. I recorded a couple of them. They're on my hard drive right now. I could have launched it and said, this is it, Story Club. I could have had a little song that went, do-do-do-do-do-do, Story Club. And then I would have got four or five weeks down the line and realised that, do you know what? It's actually quite a lot of work to to read out and perform a short story yeah. well. Because I wasn't, I wasn't good enough at it. I just, I think I said on the show a couple of weeks ago, my problem with my H's, I just kept doing it, and and it was taking ages to edit. Not even that long. It took about three or four hours to edit a story, but I just didn't enjoy it enough. And um, I just think people need to when they this term authorpreneurship sounds so glorious and exciting. I can I, I can be an author. I can write fiction, but I could be a preneur as well, and this would be brilliant. And um, it isn't. It isn't that easy. It's it's work, and it's work. Um, I was going to say it doesn't sound glorious. It sounds quite exhausting to me. But I think if both you and I, as 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 lots of our listeners know, we we do this for our day jobs. I mean, you know, I'm we're writing for different kinds of platforms 
daily. Well, I, I am at the moment anyway. Yeah, I am. I am up to my uh, up to my eyes in it. Yes, exactly. And um, and so you really have to love doing it. You really have to pick platforms and channels and ways to communicate that you enjoy in your spare time. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Because it is ultimately your spare time. You know, you're that's not what's bringing in the 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 bacon. So, you know. I think that's that for me, that's the most important advice I would say, you know, like Facebook, for example, take Facebook. I sit and do a very, very large Facebook page on a daily basis. I have a great community, loads of engagement. And I'm just I'm so tired of Facebook and I can't like the potential of it for an author. It just seems so limited now, because if you don't have money to put into it, you know, you're going to be extremely limited in, in who you can engage with on Facebook, I feel, as an author. And whereas Twitter, I just, it's just awesome. I know it's going to go more in, in the way of, of Facebook as well, that they're going to start, you know, pushing for more sponsored tweets oh, and things like that. They already, they're already pretty much down that track. I know, but still, I feel like you can, you can more easily reach people as a, an author of, of our level. You know, if you're a big brand, then I know that Twitter is already pushing you that way. But for us, they're not doing it. And we're using it as a platform as a marketing platform for our books and for us as writers every day without paying. Let's be honest. It's true. I, it's true. It's true. It's, um, I, I still do. I still think, I still think Twitter's great. It's still uh, by far my most trusted social network, yep. but it's, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know this, this authorpreneurship thing it is, a. Uh, I, I sometimes on this show, I think that sometimes we can come across, let me rephrase that. I think I can come across as being quite negative. I'm I'm not at all meaning to do that. I think that if someone is able to make a living out of their writing or surrounding things, that would be amazing. I would love I would love to do that myself. I would love to be in that position. There are lots of reasons I'm not like that, and I suspect that those reasons are the same as most people listening. Is that you know you have a job and you have um, a family and things like that. They're perfectly good reasons not to be an entrepreneur. I think that's an important message too. Um, but um, I think it's I think it is it is good to aim for those <laughs> to aim for those things. But I just think this key thing: just try and make sure that that you do enjoy it. And 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 like you say, I, one thing that I I have realised in the last year, I don't think I quite finished saying what I was saying due to unexpected compliment alert. Um, but I think it's partly because I've realised, you know, what I do actually quite like chatting about writing because it's what I what I know. It's and and sometimes that I, I think that I do sort of I worry that I come across um, negative about the whole writing profession. But um, it isn't it isn't meant like that. It's just I think it's nice to have a bit of uh, realism and and hopefully people. Uh, get a, a different perspective because i do think one of the problems with authorpreneurship is people that do talk about writing or blog about writing or do webinars about writing or do conference talks about writing it is it does make it sound like it's just this beautiful world of people sat in front of sea views or or it comes back to just write and that's and we've been here before and mm-hmm. that's the advice and it's not the reality is somewhere the reality is right in the middle. We all know what it is. It's that not not everyone, there's that very few people actually earn a living out of writing. And I think it's okay to be honest about that and say, that's true. That is more than likely if you get your novel published, even if you self-publish your own novel, chances are you're probably going to have to carry on doing whatever you're doing now. It's okay to have a job at the same time. Being an authorpreneur, fantastic, but don't sort of assume that it's going to either be easy or that it's going to even happen at all. Just build whatever you want to build. I think that's going to be my theory in future. I do still have all these ideas. I would like one to come to fruition soon. I do have plans, um, but I am going to focus on doing stuff that I think I like. I think it just makes sense. I worked out, Ian, that... Once, because I'm, I, I mean, I love my job and I'm very challenged and inspired in the workplace and I feel I've, you know, I'm learning a lot and I've, I'm going in the right direction. But I am about to go on maternity leave and have a baby and, you know, there's a chance that that might happen again. I worked out that once I come through this this phase of kind of popping in and out just to, to you know, produce offspring, I've still got a good old 35 years potentially in the workplace after that. So... I think we've got a lot of time. We've got a lot of time to become at 
you know, full-time authors, if that's where we are going, or to become exceptionally um, successful entrepreneurs. It's just, I, you know. This is, this is, you're absolutely right. And again, this is something that I've only really got my head around in the last few years, that, you know, if all goes to plan, there's plenty of time to um, become whatever the phrase entrepreneur uh, is in the future. And, and, and people who write about these things on the internet and say, hey, why don't you be an entrepreneur? Look, I've done it. You can do it too, which is how a lot of them make their money. Um, people who do do that, the suggestion is, because now, it has to be now, look, Amazon, Gold Rush, uh, you know, get it on, ebooks, the the future. It's sort of true, but it again, it depends what you want. If you're, if you, what you want is like a, uh, uh, to be look back and be absolutely happy with everything that you ever wrote that's probably a bit of a lofty ambition but you know if you want to try and maintain some integrity or all of your integ- integrity you know think about it just think about what you're actually going to do and make sure that it is what you want to do and that you're going to enjoy it whether that's writing another book whether that's changing genre because you think it might sell or because you want to and you got a good idea for a different genre or whether it's i don't know building some kind of other way of making money out of being an author that isn't necessarily writing fiction it's all fine or being an entrepreneur totally fine i'm totally up for it I'd, i'd love to do it myself in lots of ways i just don't like the idea that it's a dream that's being sold yes absolutely now I'm I'm not sure I think we kind of touched on Alison's um question a little bit but do you know I think I would also very much like to in the future talk about um email marketing and building a platform there as an author. I think that's 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 such an important area and I'm not sure that we've ever touched on how you actually would start that and go about it as a, as a, an author on your own. So I think we have a lot more to talk about about that. Don't was you? yeah i mean i can point you to lots of i've been reading a lot about email marketing recently partly for work but also because i've been doing my own email newsletter um there are lots oh, this this comes this comes back to what we were saying before there are lots of so many so many um articles and blog posts written by the i'm doing air quotes here pro bloggers who tell you how to build an email list and it makes it sound so straightforward and simple anyone can do it just build a list build a huge list and do it like me and then you before you know it you've bought you've bought their bloody ebook that tells you how to make (laughs) tells you how to put an email list together and then you look at your own email list and when you should have been making like writing emails to people you were reading their sodden ebook it's ridiculous (laughs) so um yeah there are lots of sensible things that you we we can talk i think it's it's a very good thing to talk about and we will do that won't we maybe next week who knows Mm. maybe the week after on a scale of one to ten, how ranty have I just been in the last half an hour? <laughs> Compared to normal, or just yeah. a, uh, no? You've been you've been a joy to listen to from <laughs> this this side of the North Sea. Um, that's it. We've run out of time, Ian. I, we're just going to have to tell people where they can find us. Um, well, you can find us on the internet. Um, I am at uh, championauthorpreneur.com. <laughs> and wish. Uh, on Twitter, I, on Twitter, I am uh, Ian Broom, I A I N B O W O M E. I'm also that. I'm also that in real life. Yes, you are. Um, I am at the Flying Poet on Twitter. So um, tweet us. You can use the Right for Your Life hashtag WFYL. We'd love to uh, have your questions and comments there. Thanks everyone who um, who who is in contact with us as well on Twitter. It's lovely. So we'll see you all next week. We'll do. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.